Good morning, everybody. <laughs> How's everybody doing this morning? I'm uh, guest speaking today, I guess. I've sort of heard. Uh, my name's Tim. It's good to have you with us this morning. Uh, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. I hope that uh, you're blessed by being with us today. We had our men's retreat over the weekend. Got to hear from Richard Harder and... Uh, Nathan Gill and John Wolf spoke on independence. We had two guys talking about it. I thought that was kind of cool. And then Scott Wright also spoke on forgiveness, bitterness and forgiveness. And uh, it was a great weekend and enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, if you didn't get to hear any of those lessons, we're going to have those online. We'll have those on our website uh, probably sometime today or tomorrow. They'll be up there. So if you missed it, you can at least uh, listen in on what these guys had to say. It's good to hear from some younger men. You know, instead of us old geezers all the time. Um, you're going to hear from an old geezer today, okay? That's just, you're stuck with it. Now, I know the last couple of weeks you've had these 30-minute lessons, so I hope you brought your lunch. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll try to get through this as quickly as possible, too, okay? No. We're in a series called Meeting Jesus, and we've been looking at uh, all these different people that Jesus, Jesus has met. He's known for meeting crowds, but you know, uh, you, you start studying and you notice that there's a lot more information about him meeting people individually. And, and I do want to say I, I appreciate Gary and Alan giving me a couple more weeks off. I know some of you are wondering, what are you doing, Tim? I'm trying to, to spread the love, you know, spread the responsibility a little bit here. And uh, based on some of the guys we heard over the weekend, I'd like to get some of them up here every once in a while and, uh, and have the pulpit as well. There's, there's other ways, other styles and other ways of looking at Scripture that we need to see. And, you know, you get hooked on one person or one particular style, uh, that's just not fair to you. And so um, and next year I'm going to be hopefully seeing the pulpit used a little bit more in a, in a much more variety uh, way. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just wanting to share the pulpit, okay? We need, a, lot of, a lot of preachers are territorial with their pulpits. Shame on them, okay? Um, we, we're not wanting to be like that. Uh, so anyway, how did I get into that? That's not even on the notes. The point I'm, I guess I'm saying is that I appreciated them filling in, and I know they're, they're, and, uh, they're going to be doing some of that again. And, and in this series, we've been looking at this, been looking at this whole idea of the people that have met Christ. Because there's more information about individual encounters than there are public ones where he's got large crowds. And we've looked at each of these people. He's met, you know, Women at the well, he's met children, he's met uh, Nicodemus late at night, he's, he's met rich people, poor people, you know, people that are educated, people uneducated, hurting people, sick people, um, all different ages, all different styles, pagan, religious. Jesus had time for everybody. Let me say that again. He had time for everybody. Um, aren't you glad he has time for you? I'm sure glad he made time for me and has time to hear me, to teach me, to be able to sit at his feet and choose what is better and learn something and mature and grow and, and experience his love and his forgiveness. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. And what I notice, I guess, is again, like I said before, Jesus made time for people. And I believe that uh, I just want to make sure you do not uh, lose sight of that and miss this, this uh, important thought as we have went through this series that Jesus did not see color he did not see race he did not see rich or poor he did not see status 
He did not see bank accounts. He didn't see genders. All he saw was people. And he wants you and I to do the same. He wants you and I to grow into that and to see people, not categories, not projects, not prospects, especially today as we live in a world that's more hostile with each other. Who is it going to be? What people are going to rise up and say, enough, and let's just look at people and love them like God's called us to love them. Jesus shows us that in this series. In each one of these people that we've looked at, He shows us how to love and how to interact with people and have relationships. You know, um, how to initiate them, how to accept them. So don't miss that. That's important. It may never be said more specifically than now, but that's a big part of this series, how Jesus treated people. And He wants us to treat them the same way. Now today I want to talk about a guy who never met Jesus personally. Is that weird in a series? We're talking about meeting Jesus, and now we're going to talk about a guy that never met him. But yet, Jesus is more impressed with him. Now, I don't know if that means that he's impressed when we're not at church. I know that absence makes the heart grow fonder, makes the faith greater. I don't know what it is. Uh, I don't believe that. But you see a man who who impresses Jesus uh, by his faith, and he never sees him face to face. We find this account in the book of Luke. And the reason I want you to think about this particular guy, this lesson is particularly special for you and I because you and I have never seen Jesus face to face either. And yet we can have great faith and we can impress and amaze our Lord. I think that's wonderful. Let's look at this in in Luke 7. I think we've got it up on the screen too. Uh, But you can follow along in your own Bible or your cell phone or whatever you've got to use there. This is the NIV. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. Now, first of all, what was he talking about? It was the Sermon on the Mount. And he, after he gets through speaking, this, this, the greatest sermon ever, he begins to make his way back to Capernaum, which is his, like his home away from home. This is where he goes. He frequently goes to Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus, so he wasn't a part of the crowd that heard the sermon, not of the crowd that met Jesus. He heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even come myself, uh, consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. That's the phrase everybody remembers when they read about this passage. But say the word. Just order it, he says. And my servant will be healed. He's saying, you know, you ever heard anybody say, it's easier said than done? The centurion believes it's as easy as being said when it comes to Jesus. If he says it, it's as good as done. And he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he he tries to explain why he feels that way. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. 
And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. He's amazed. Only two times Jesus is amazed. And one of them is he's amazed at the lack of faith in Israel. And that's in Mark 6, 6. And here's the other time. He is blown away. What's the word, Greek word behind that mean? Blown away. He is surprised. He is amazed. He is impressed. He's a, he admires that kind of faith. His admiration just out of the blue. He, you could just see him look around going, I've never seen such faith. I've never heard of such faith. I've never found such great faith in all of Israel as what I've just encountered. And he never met the man face to face. He never even met him face to face. Is that something? Oh, wow. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. You know, most of the time, people are amazed with Jesus when you read the Bible, right? They're amazed when he speaks. They're amazed at his teaching. They're amazed at his power. Even the winds and the waves obey him. And the disciples were amazed. Kings were amazed. Pharisees were amazed at his authority. He spoke as one with authority. And they were amazed that he could heal people and and he could raise people from the dead. But this time, it's the other way around. Jesus is amazed with a person. Very rare you see this. Why is he so amazed? What's so amazing about this guy? Well, this this centurion is pretty amazing. The people, the Jewish elders, the friends, they're amazed at this guy. The people in Capernaum really think this guy's the bomb. If you look, let me give you some reasons why I think that's true. There's there's a uh, historian by the name of Polybius who lived before Christ, said this, and it's up on the screen, he said this about centurions. Look what he says about the character of a centurion. They must not be so much seekers after danger as men who can command, steady in action, and reliable. They ought not to be over-anxious to rush into the fight, but when hard-pressed, they must be ready to hold their ground and die at their posts. This, so what is a centurion wasn't just your ordinary guy. He was an ordinary guy, but he had some interesting traits, I guess. And that is that he was disciplined, responsible. He showed courage, self-control. You know, the Bible, no one, you know, the Bible mentions uh, centurions in a positive light all the time. You don't find any place in the Bible where a centurion is criticized in the Scriptures, and especially in the New Testament. Okay, you, that's where we find all of that. And, and look at this. Look, 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 look at what uh, some of the scriptures teach. There's a centurion at the cross. And remember what he said? Surely this is the Son of God. I mean, uh, Luke records what the centurion says. He goes, oh my goodness. He saw the way Jesus died and said, surely this is the Son of God. There's another centurion in Acts chapter 10 by the name of Cornelius. And if you remember, the Bible says that he was highly favored and, res- and godly and respected by the Jews. He, he uh, gave to the poor and sacrifices. He offered sacrifices as well. There's another centurion named Julius, and he's found in Acts 27. And he was a guy that escorted a, 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 a regiment or a group, of, not a regiment, but a group of soldiers, and escorting Paul to Rome. And you find that 
when they were shipwrecked and having trouble in the ocean and the sea, he was wanting to make sure Paul was not harmed. He wanted to make sure Paul's life was spared. These are all positive statements about centurions, and, and these are just a few of them that are mentioned in the Bible. Now, Luke gives us a little bit more detail because he's a doctor, and he said he would give detail. He's got lots of detail about this fella in, in Luke chapter 7, this centurion. For example, look what he says about him. The first thing I notice he says about him in verses 2 and 3 is that he is compassionate to the weak. This centurion is compassionate. He's loving to the weak. Again, verses 2 and 3. There a centurion servant whom his master highly va- valued highly. That's interesting. He highly valued his servant. And he's sick and about to die. And what's he do? He calls for Jesus to get some help. He wants to save this guy's life. I read, I read uh, as I was researching about the Roman Empire, one time I read this, that a third of the Roman Empire were slaves. Can you imagine that? A third of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. And the Romans, they viewed slaves as what one writer called like living tools. So when they were, whenever they were looking at their tools and like uh, all the implements and, and equipment that they had, and they would go through them and see if they were sharp or anything was damaged and needed repaired, they also looked at the slaves the same way. And if a slave was sick, or if he was old, or if he was useless, they would throw away them like they would a tool that couldn't be repaired. They would kick them to the curb and say, you're on your own, and they would replace them with a slave they could use. Not this guy. The Bible says this centurion was different than Roman society. He highly valued his slave, and he was sick and about to die, and he still had value in that person. He still saw value in that person. Well, what a lesson we could learn, huh? When someone's sick, when someone can't offer us or give us what maybe what we'd like to have, or they, they're, they're, they, they seem useless, do we still value them? Our older folks in this church, our people with cancer in this church, people that have some sort of physical limitation in this church or emotional limitation, do our hearts, are we compassionate not just in our congregation, but in our, where we work, in our community, in our world. Why are we blowing each other up? Who's going to change that? Jesus thinks the Christians will. And we will. We will prevail and we will change the, this earth. With God's help, we will. Also, He's kind to His enemies. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a Bible scholar to know this. Jews and Romans did not like one another. No, duh. You know, here you have, here's your country, and here comes this superpower into your country, and they take over. There are guards on the streets. There's a garrison, at least of 100 soldiers, in every town. In every town. The Romans are everywhere. And if you know anything about Roman history, you know the Romans, they, because they were hated by the Jews, there were these guys called zealots. We know that we, we would call them mercenaries. Like the French resistance in World War II, they would assassinate soldiers, poison them, kill them. They would sabotage any of the movements of the military in their area. 
There was a resistance all the time. And the Romans, they did not like the Jews. In fact, they hated the Jews. They called them a filthy race. You find that the Romans also believed that the, the, that the Jews had these barbaric superstitions. Things like they worshipped donkey skulls. Or they, they, they sacrificed annually a Gentile stranger to their God. And neither were true. So the Romans did not like the Jews, and the Jews did not like the Romans. But in this case, in this case, the centurion was kind to his enemies. Look what the Jewish leaders, the Jewish elders of Capernaum say about this man. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this. He deserves for you to to heal his servant. Why? Because he loves our nation. He loves our people. He's kind to us. He takes care of us. He's not like the rest of those Roman scum. Not only is he kind to his enemies, another thing about him is he's deeply religious. That's another thing I notice. Same verse. It says that not only did he love the nation, but he built our synagogue. So he's religious. Now, the Roman government encouraged the soldiers and those that occupied whatever country they had to encourage religion. But they did it for manipulative purposes. They did it to control the people. The centurion is not doing this to control anyone. You get the idea that the centurion, he, he, he funded the building the church building. That's what a synagogue was, a Jewish church building. He built their church building in their town. Funded it. Generous. Why? Why would he do that? Many believe it's because he was embracing a lot of the Jewish faith at that time. That, he, that believing in one God rather than many gods of the Romans, he believed in one God. He liked that. It appealed to him. And so he's kind to them. He's religious. He, he wants more than the culture offers him. Good, good lesson for us. He wants more than what his culture offered him. He wanted something deeper. And he found Judaism attractive. And like all Jews should have been, wanted Jesus. It led him to Jesus. Not all Jews were led to Jesus. But this centurion, as pagan as he is, is led to seek the Lord. Now the people are really impressed by this guy. And you've got to admit, wouldn't you be impressed by somebody like that? He's compassionate to the weak. He's kind to his enemies. And he's religious. Wouldn't you respect that kind of a person and admire that kind of a person? That'd be amazing to have somebody like that working maybe next to you, huh? And if you've got somebody like that working next to you, isn't it a blessing? Absolutely. But you know what amazes Jesus? It's the guy's faith. And maybe his faith did this, made him compassionate and kind and more seeker, uh, seeker of God. That's possible. But what he's looking at is his great faith. Because the Bible says in verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in Israel. Now I want you to think about something here just for a second. That word amazed, you don't find very many times in the Bible, especially when it's describing Jesus. Because he's amazed, he's surprised. Now, 
This is God in the flesh. This is the Son of God, God in the flesh, who knows the hearts of men. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Can't you throw a surprise birthday party for Jesus Christ? Surprise! Oh, wow, you caught me off guard. Really? Let's prank Jesus. Let's short-sheet his bed. Oh, you guys, you're something. I didn't see this coming. Really? You think you can surprise God? Yes, you can. This verse is telling us you can amaze Him. You can amaze Him to the point of admiring you. You can, you can thrill Him. I can just imagine Jesus as He's walking. And he's just given the greatest sermon. And it's not a disciple that says, Just say the word, Lord. And it's not a Pharisee. And the crowd says, Hey, just say the word. You don't have to go there. It's a pagan. A pagan. A Roman pagan that says it. And if a Roman pagan can amaze the Lord, can you? Yes, you can. I want you to know, every time you trust the Lord, every time you believe in the Lord, believe what He says and trust Him, you're amazing Him. Some of you this morning have amazed the Lord and are amazing Him because you trust Him. And some of you here may have used to feel like, yeah, I used to feel like I just amazed the Lord and I thrilled Him and pleased Him. But I don't know about it anymore. Let me tell you, you can impress Him and you can thrill Him once again. You really can. And it's great faith. Now, great faith is not beyond any of our reach. Great faith is not some crazy, crazy looking thing. It's really pretty simple. And we learn that from this centurion. I can have amazing faith, and you can too. I can have great faith. And I amaze Jesus with my faith. Here's three things to tell you. Number one from this passage. I amaze Jesus with my faith when I believe in God's greatness. Now, some of us may have to say, when I believe again in God's greatness. You see, great faith produces humility. When you believe in God's greatness, you recognize His power and holiness and your powerlessness and sinfulness. You follow me? I mean, this centurion, you may not have thought about this, but this, this centurion is the highest ranking Roman official in Capernaum. He could, whatever he says goes. He's in charge of at least a hundred men. He's there in charge to keep the peace and keep order. This man, when he said something, people snapped to attention and they did what they were told. Notice that the Jewish elders even do what he says. Did you catch that? Even the Jewish elders are obeying this man. He has he wields great power, but in Capernaum he knows there's someone greater. In his city, in his environment, he knows there's someone greater than him, and it's Jesus. 
In other words, he knows his place. He knows his place. Look what he says in verses 6 and 7. Don't, Lord, don't trouble yourself. He sends some friends to say this. Don't trouble yourself, for I des- don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I, I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. See, he recognizes and respects the greatness of God here. How do you picture Jesus? How you see God has a big impact on how you view what he says and what he can do. Look at it when Moses says here in Deuteronomy 3. This is Moses. Lord God, you have begun to show me, your servant, how great you are. You have great strength. And no other God in heaven or on earth can do the powerful things you do. There's no other God like you. And he was familiar with the Egyptian gods. He says, Lord, you're beginning to show me how great you are. You are amazing. And Moses is saying, I, I'm getting it. I'm seeing your greatness. There's no one like you. You know, guys, if you want to know how you see the Lord in your life right now, just look at how you treat Him. How you treat what He says. How much you think of Him. How important are the things that are of God to you. And you get an idea. You know, there's a little book out years ago I read, um, maybe out of print, by an author named Phillips that said it was about your God is too small. Um, Jeff Walling one time preached a lesson based on that book at Tulsa called God in a Box. And what he was, what what uh, both Jeff and the author are talking about is how we view God. Some people view God; he's in a box. He can't do everything. He can only do some things. He's limited. Some folks, they see God as like a bellhop or a servant or a Santa Claus. Give me, and if you don't give me what I want, then I'm packing my Bible up and I'm going somewhere else. And you'd be surprised how many people leave God, leave churches, leave Christianity, because they asked for something and God didn't give them what they wanted. Years ago, I was five years old. Many, many years ago. In a galaxy. Far, no, I was five. And, I, and, I, and again, I said this in the first service, had some adults upset with me. You remember the time when you found out Santa wasn't real? You remember that? What? See, so you get something. What? Here I am sitting there. I'm five years old. Never forget it. We're at school. Santa Claus comes to school. I'm so excited. I'm so jacked up. I can't wait. I'm, where well, I'm in line. I know exactly what I'm asking. I've been seeing it every Saturday morning after Bugs Bunny and during Bugs Bunny and before Bugs Bunny. Did I mention Bugs Bunny? Anyway, I, I'm, it's Big Bruiser. I want Big Bruiser. Big Bruiser is a, is a winch truck that backs up. It's got a real hook and it hooks up against this plastic truck that's damaged. It's got a flat tire and a busted fender and you pick it up and you take it over to the repair shop and you replace the tire and the fender. I want a Big Bruiser. I remember telling my mom, Mom, I want that. What is that? That Big Bruiser. Oh, okay. You don't need that. You're five. I want a Big Bruiser. Older kids are playing with it. I want to be an older kid. I want a big bruiser. There's Santa. Uh, it's a lock. It's locked in, man. The big guy's here. 
ho, ho, ho. And I go, Santa, I jump up on his knee and we're talking and laughing. What do you want for Christmas? I go, I want a big bruiser. Big bruiser? Okay. See you later, Tim. And I'm going, yeah, and I'm thinking it's done. Christmas comes and I get socks. Socks does not sound like big bruiser. It doesn't look like big bruiser. I am mad. Five years old. My mom's, what's wrong with you? Look what Santa brought you. This is not what I asked for. You've talked to Santa? Yeah. Well, yeah, I asked for a big bruiser. I didn't get it. Well, maybe, you know, maybe something happened. You know, the elves got mixed up. You know, blame it on the elves. Throwing the elves under the bus. And I am upset all year. I'm waiting for Christmas. First grade. First grade. I'm a little older, a little wiser. I'm confronting him this time. I'm sitting there. I, I had practiced. I kid you not. I practiced my speech, what I was going to say. I'm sitting there waiting in line. Everybody else is going, Santa, Santa. I go, yeah, Santa, Santa. We're going to have a talk. And I finally get up to him. He goes, ho, ho, ho. And I'm kidding you not. I'm thinking to myself, don't you ho, ho me. I go, what, what happened? What? What do you want for Christmas? No, no. What happened last Christmas? I asked for a big... I start crying. I asked for a big present. You didn't give me no big present. I want a little hook and a hook and a fender and a flat tire. He goes, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I, 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 I must have slipped my mind. You know, you'll get it this year. I have not talked to Santa ever since. I'm an atheist of Santa in the first grade. Mom goes, you better go to bed. You're going to have to go to bed because Santa won't come. He's not coming. And if he does, he'll be sorry. I mean, that's how I felt. Some people treat God like Santa Claus. You didn't give me something. You didn't heal that person. You didn't give me that job. You didn't, you didn't get me married to that right person, or you, you, you didn't give me that, you didn't give me marriage, you didn't give me the money, you didn't give me the position, you didn't give me the pleasure, therefore, I'm done with you, I'm going to try something else. How you see God matters. Maybe you see God as an ordinary guy. You know, some of us here, we act like God's our, you know, buddy old pal, kick back. Hey, geez, how's it going? No respect, no awe, no holiness. No, we think he's just an ordinary guy who can do ordinary things. And so we only talk to him about a few things. We don't talk about everything because we don't think he can do everything. Or he's like an old man. He really can't, you know. The other day, I remember one time I was preaching and I said the word Walkman. Oh my gosh, I thought I had, I'd cussed or something. My wife gets me off the side. People don't wear Walkmans anymore. They wear these things called eye things. Eye thingies, you know. And I go, what? You said I. You said Walkman. That's been so long ago. I listen, listen. Quit bothering me. I'm watching my VHS tape right now. Just leave me alone. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like we look at God sometimes like this. He's outdated. He, and so he can't handle the modern things anymore. You know, he's still getting messages by carrier pigeon. And I'm, I'm emailing a smartphone. And he, he ain't got time. And his word, it don't connect. 
And they can do what they can with those fancy paraphrases and translations. They still are outdated as far as I'm concerned. The ideas are outdated. This idea about a man and a woman married, outdated. Uh, having more than one what? Outdated. You know, being able to spend hours at work and don't think about God at all. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's, that's the way it is, God. We're all busy. Now, we've got to have two jobs to make ends meet. Since you won't do your job and take care of us, I have to take matters into my own hands. What a bunch of crap. But that's what we do. We see God a certain way, and it affects how we... How we, we think, maybe some of us here think of God as a policeman. Tim, you said, crap, you're going to get struck by lightning. Like God's the verbal police or the moral policeman. And if I get out of line, that's why I lost my job. That's why I have got sick. That's why this bad thing happened to me. Because he's just waiting and saying, just move out of the line. Just color outside the lines, and here comes a lightning bolt straight from my throne. And some of us may see Jesus or see God as a shepherd. That we, we adore, He loves us, He takes care of us, He leads us and feeds us, He directs us and protects us. How do you see Jesus really matters? The centurion saw Jesus as supreme. Look at Ecclesiastes 5. What an interesting passage. I stumbled across this passage. I think God led me to it because look what it says. Do not be quick with your mouth. Well, I'm out. Don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. And look what it says. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. What's he saying? God is supreme. You're a servant. God is supreme. Sovereign, you are servant. He's from heaven. You're only from earth. See, that, that's what this guy, he, he saw that. Listen to this. Think about this. The centurion believed that Jesus could do anything. He believed he could do anything. I believe that. You do? Remember when you were first a Christian? I believe God could do anything. Has that changed? The centurion, you're not even worthy. I'm not even worthy. I'm sorry. I'm not even worthy to be with you, to have you under my roof. You're heavenly. Centurion, you're in charge of the city. No, I'm not. Not when Jesus is around. I'm like everybody else. He's from heaven. I'm from earth. Do we see the greatness of God? Do you see the greatness of God? It is so important. And see this, by the way, listen to me. Seeing the greatness of God is not something that's beyond you and I. We can understand the greatness of God when we begin to look at Him, look at Him in His Word, talking with other believers who see His greatness. We begin to look at our lives and see where God has done some amazing things. We can believe that Jesus can do anything. Psalms 44 says, 
this is the psalmist talking about how Israel took the promised land. If you remember, the promised land was filled with giants and the Israelites thought of themselves as grasshoppers. And he says, it wasn't their swords that took the land. It wasn't their power that gave them victory. But it was your great power and strength. You were with them because you loved them. He's saying it's not your power that gets it done. It's God's power. And when he's with you, his love for you unleashes that power and strength in your life. Look at Psalm 77 verse 14. Here's the psalmist again. You are the God who does amazing things. Do you believe that this morning? He is the God that does amazing things to people, to nations. You show the nations your great power. You believe that this morning? Apostle Paul believed it. Look how he says it. He believed in the greatness of God. He possessed great faith. For I can do everything God asks me to do with the help of Christ who gives me the strength and power. Now some of you here this morning, you believe in God's greatness. You see it. You'll never be unconvinced. But some of us here, I think some of us here once believed He was great. Now we're beginning to wonder and it's time you believe in His greatness again. It's time you, you, you begin to look at the greatness of God. It's not out of your reach. Number two, I'm amazed Jesus with my faith. He admires it. He smiles over it. He's pleased with my faith when I depend on God for help. Where do you go to get help? Who's the first one you call? Mike, I thought, did a great job of helping us understand. He's not the only arrogant, independent man here. Probably not the only independent well, I don't want to say woman because he's a man, but you know what I'm saying? There's some of you women here that are pretty independent. And we decide we're going to do it ourselves. I'm going to fix it myself when we need God's help. The centurion, think about this. This guy is, is the most powerful man in town. He represents the emperor of Rome. And yet... He is helpless with all the power he has. He's helpless to to do anything about his sick servant. And so he hears of Jesus, it says. It says he heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him. He's thinking, who can I send? I'll, I'll ask some Jews to go talk to this Jew. You know, Jesus wasn't really popular right at this time. He was still being heard of. But enough was heard about him that the centurion wanted his help. He knew he could help. He saw that he could do anything. He saw that he had authority and power over everything. Now, I want to say something here to think about this. This is what I learned from the centurion. He believes that Jesus is competent and can help him. If you have great faith, you believe Jesus can help. And that's why you go to him. Look at Matthew 8, verse 13 here. Then Jesus said to the officer, Go home, your servant will be healed the way you believe he would. Right then his servant was healed. Now I know some of you are going, Wait a minute, it sounds like the the centurion is here. This is that other passage that, that talks about him. But Matthew, it's believed, is giving a general picture of what happened while Luke gives us the details. 
Have you ever had anybody say, or you've heard of the news, the president of so-and-so talked to the president of so-and-so, but actually they didn't do the talking, they were representatives doing it, yet he was talking through them? Luke reveals that. Matthew's saying, it's as if he's here. And God is, and Jesus is saying to him, he'll be healed the way you believe. The centurion is home. He is not in this group. But it's interesting that Jesus says, he'll be healed just like you believe it. According to your faith, he said to one person, it will be done. See, I receive what I believe. You receive what you believe. And if you believe Jesus can help you, he can help you. It's amazing that unbelief in Nazareth, he couldn't do any miracles there. Why? No one could receive anything because they wouldn't believe anything. They wouldn't believe him. Psalms 121 says this, I look up to the hills, and where will my help really come from? My help will come from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. He says, one, one uh, version says, I look to the gods of the mountains, and they can't help me. I'll find the God who made the mountains. He can help me. That's where I get my help. And for all of us here, for every Christian, every believer here, I want you to know, if you're not getting help from Jesus, maybe you're not really going to Him. Gary said it so simple last week about just to go to Jesus. And some of these simple statements, I think this go, they don't go over our heads, they go through us. We don't think about them. But are we really going to, are you going to Jesus? Where do you get your help? Psychology? I listened to a woman, I talked to a woman this week for two and a half hours. And she sits in, 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 uh, at church every Sunday. And we're talking. And she's talking about a relative she has. And it reminded me of Danny that was a drug addict. And she said, Tim, he did AA. He did Celebrate Recovery. He did self-help books he listened to tapes he got he tried hypnosis he tried all that stuff it wasn't until he surrendered to Jesus that all that stuff really took root you know we rely on these steps and everything but I'll tell you what guys if the steps aren't following Jesus you're just walking by yourself and he wants to help you And I, I, you know, my brother will tell you, my brother was so messed up with drugs and alcohol. And after, after he surrendered to Christ, I go, are you tempted? No, I don't, I don't even have any side effects. I'm waiting for the side effects. And I go, I think you've got side effects. They're just different side effects, my brother. They're the side effects of a surrendered heart. It says here in Hebrews 4, let us, he's talking about all believers. Look at what the Bible says here. Feel very sure that we can come before God's throne where there is grace. There we can receive mercy and grace to help us when we need it. When we need it the most. This man's faith is great. And it isn't that big a step for each of us here. Because he believed in God's greatness. 
And he also just went to Jesus for help. He believed, that's where I'm going to get my help, is from Christ. I can get help with some medication, but it's not going to cure me. I can get some help with some steps, but it's not going to get me there like the help of the great physician, Jesus Christ. Number three, I amaze Jesus with my faith when I trust his word. Now, you could also say, when I trust his authority, or you could say, when I surrender to his authority. Because the word of someone is only as good as how they can back it. Can they back it up? Look what this centurion says. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. He says, all you've got to do is just say it, and it will happen. He believes that Jesus is supreme over every disease, over anything in the universe. And he says, all you've got to do is say it. You know, the centurion didn't look for a sign. He didn't say, give me a sign. He didn't say, uh, walk over here, and, and I'll have my servant touch the hem of your garment. These work in the New Testament. He he didn't he didn't ask he didn't even ask uh, you know Jesus you've got to be here and present you've got to be physically present for this to happen. No, he just says just say the word where you are, just right where you are, Lord, and I know it will happen. It will be done. And then he explains why he believes that because I'm in the military. And I know what it's like. I have authority. I'm, in, I'm under authority. And I have authority over people. And when I say to somebody, come, he comes. And if I say, go, he goes. And if I say, do this, he snaps to attention and says, yes, sir, and he does it. And, and every disease, every problem, everything is in submission to your orders. You say it, and it happens. And I couldn't help but think, guys, you see... Great faith obeys the orders of God. We need to get a little more military-minded when it comes to this. I, you know, the, the, the New Century Version keeps using the word orders, or as the NIV says, commands. And for some reason, I never thought about commands and orders being the same thing. But aren't they? Orders puts it in a different light. They must be obeyed. You read the code of conduct for an American soldier. They're to obey orders. You could be shot if you didn't obey certain orders in the military. Lives of other people depend on you following orders. And this man was familiar with the connection between authority, orders, and obedience. Am I right, Marines? Am I right, Navy? Am I right, Air Force? Am I right, Army? This is not a night watchman. This is not a postman. He has a uniform. This is a soldier saying, I understand that, that you have that kind of authority. But you have that kind of authority over my problem. And just say it. You don't have to come here. Just say it, Lord. And it will happen. You see, that's what amazes Jesus the most here. That this man recognizes the authority of God and the Word of God. You see, if you want to know if you respect the authority of God, you obey 
his orders. Simple as that. Orders are powerful. I was reading a story about a, a, a young man telling a, telling a, talking about his uh, uncle that was in the army. He was a sergeant. He said, my, my uncle was a sergeant in the army, and he went to visit the doctor. And the doctor said, okay, I've looked at your, uh, we've took your blood work, everything, and listen, man, you've got to stop smoking. I know, Doc. I know I need to quit smoking. I've been smoking for 27 years. I just can't seem to kick the habit. Well, you've got to quit because now you're at the age where it's really going to start taking this toll on your body. I know, Doc. I know. Have you tried anything? Oh, yeah, I've tried all kinds of things. I've tried the gum. I've tried the, you know, the hypnosis. I've tried the pills. I've tried quitting cold turkey. Oh, it's so hard. It's just so tough. And, but I go right back to it. He goes, really? You've tried, I've tried everything. Well, let me ask you this. What do these two bars on my shoulder mean? means you're a captain. Well, Sergeant, as your captain, I'm giving you an order to stop smoking. And the nephew said he never touched a cigarette again. What? It can't be that simple. Well, it's not, I'm not saying it's easy. But see, that man understood orders. And he understood you're to obey orders. He understood that those captain bars represented authority much bigger and larger than the captains. You know, guys, we, we, tell, we talk to one another. We get in discipleship groups. Somebody hurts your feelings because they suggested. So you, we, take, we treat it like a suggestion. You better be careful because if it's with the authority of God, you're, you're refusing to obey an order. Now listen, Christianity is not about telling each other what to do. We're not about that, but we do tell each other what to do. It's not about that. But there's an element of that going on, right? We teach one another. Spur one another toward love and good deeds. But sometimes I think we treat God's authority like, well, give me, let me tell you this. A, a policeman says to me, Tim, I want you to move over there. What am I going to do? I'm moving. He has a badge. He has a gun. He has a taser. Now, my granddaughter Carmody is just starting to talk. And contrary to what you may hear, she doesn't have that much authority over me yet. We're at the zoo. This means more. Come on, give it up, Grandpa. Wait a second, Carmody. What, what? You're a kid. What are you doing bossing me around? Someone says, well, give her get used to it. <laughs> well, that may be true. That may be true. I have not surrendered yet, but, but I will tell you, there's a difference between a kid telling you what to do and a policeman telling you what to do. We see that, right? And sometimes, do we treat the commands of God as suggestions? Or, I'm not to do what you say. And I'm not, again, I'm, listen, I'm not promoting cult, being a cult here. I'm not saying we need to do whatever somebody tells us. But when we're looking at Scripture, we're looking at the orders of our commander. Of Almighty God. What you do with that says a lot about whether or not you respect His authority. It's really not about the orders. It's about His authority. And this man said, Lord, I believe you're, you're, you've got such authority, all you've got to do is say the word and it happens. And that's what amazes Jesus the most. Let's read some scripture here. Psalms 138. I bow down facing your holy temple. By the way, 
the Muslims learned from the Jews to bow toward their temple. The Jews did this long before the Muslims did. Wherever they lived, they would bow toward the Holy Temple. Why? Because that's where God dwelled with His people. Great respect for the temple. Great reliance on the temple. I will bow down your face, facing, down facing your holy temple. I will thank you for your love and loyalty. And look what he says. You have made your name and your word greater than anything. What's he talking about? You have made your authority and your word, your orders, greater than anything. Let me ask you something this morning. Is God and greater than any authority in your mind? Greater than your mom and dad? Greater than the government? Greater than your desires, yourself, your lusts, those strong desires? Greater than the lure and the love of money? Greater than power? How do I know if He's greater? His Word is greater than anything. That I pay attention to what God says more than anything else. It's not, you've made Tim's name and Word greater. No. You've made God's, you've made your name, Lord, and your Word both greater than anything. Is God's Word greater than anything you've ever heard? You know how you know? You obey. Simple as that. Look at this, Psalms, Psalms 111. Everything he does is good and fair. All his orders can be trusted. In the code of ethics, you're to, uh, the code of conduct, we're to obey orders. But there are exceptions to that. Am I right, military people? Yeah, if, you're, if your commanding officer asks you to do something really stupid and crazy and unethical, you go, no, I refuse. I respectfully refuse to carry out that order. God, everything He does is good and fair. All His orders can be trusted. You don't have to worry about Him asking you to do something unethical or immoral. It may be difficult, but you obey it. The orders of the Lord, it says here in Psalms 19, are right. They make people happy. Oh, what? What? Wait, 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 wait. The orders of the Lord are right. They make people happy. I don't know about you, but... I don't know if they make me happy. There's times some of these orders don't make me happy. So I'm disagreeing with God here this morning. Who's right? (laughs) He says, they make people happy, Tim. Well, they don't make me happy. Maybe that's because you don't obey those orders properly, dude. Maybe that's what... That's why people go to jail and go to prison and get in trouble in the military because they don't do what they're told to do by their commanding officer. It makes life more difficult. Drop and give me 20. Tim, Gil, you're making, making my Marine Corps look awful, Gil. Private Pile, what's wrong with you? Remember Full Metal Jacket? You're an embarrassment to my corps. What are you doing on my obstacle course? He's not obeying very well. Well, is he trying? No, you ought to be the judge of that. All I know is that the Bible says that if I obey his orders, they make me happy. Look at he says, the commands of the Lord are pure. You can trust them, guys. They're pure. 
They light up the way. That sounds like improvement, a big up for me. Keeping them brings great reward. Would you agree with that? The Bible says so. And I want you to know this morning, as we close out here, that Jesus is not the only person amazed by the centurion's great faith. The centurion is amazed too. Look at this next verse. It's up on the screen here. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. You remember in Matthew 8 it said, at that moment the servant was well. Who's with the servant? Huh? The centurion is with the servant. He's sitting there at his side. And he's just watching him. And all of a sudden, this servant is well. What do you think that did to the centurion? Just say the word. You don't even be here. And at that moment, he sees it happen. Is he amazed? Is he blessed? Has his faith rewarded him? I want to say to you this morning, Greater Alton Church, you keep believing. You keep trusting. You keep bringing the Word of God into your everyday life. You keep struggling and fighting that doubt in your heart. You keep dealing with this stuff that you just... I I don't know if I can truly understand this. That's all right. You keep at it. Because at the other end is great faith. Greater faith in God and great reward. God will amaze you because of your great faith. There's a card in your bulletin that gives you a chance to respond to this lesson, okay? I don't know what your response needs to be this morning. Maybe you need to believe again and ask people, help me believe again. The disciples asked Jesus, help us with our unbelief. Maybe you need to ask that. Help me with my unbelief. I have trouble believing God's greatness. I have a hard time really believing His Word. Really believing His Word can make a difference. Help me follow the orders, Lord. Maybe there's a prayer like that. Maybe you need to decide this morning, there's an order that He's been giving that I have been disobeying Long enough, no more. Today, I begin to obey. Today, I begin to please my commanding officer. How do you see God? Do you see Him as a joke, or do you see Him as something much different than that? Do you see Him as someone to help you cope, or someone to give you victory? What do you need to change when it comes to your view of God? Change it this morning and experience the rewards of greater faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this man. You know, it's, I never saw it before that a guy you never met, you're most impressed with. And Father, we've never, none of us here have met you personally, face to face, body to body, eyeball to eyeball. It's good to know, Father, we don't have to meet you like that to have great faith in you and to please you. So this morning, Father, I pray for us here, whatever's just beyond our reach or what's in front of us, that we reach to that. Maybe it's we just need, to, Father, to believe in your greatness. It starts there. Or maybe, Father, we, we've, we've went to so many other things for help and we need to be calling on you for help and listening to your prescription 
and trusting your word. Maybe it's that, Father, just trusting your word. You've given an order to be obeyed. Help us have the faith to obey, to respect your authority, to realize that your word, that you and your word are greater than anything we've ever heard. And that should make us consider what you say more than anything else we hear. Father, I pray for some of us here that you bring great reward to their faith. Help them see it. Help them look and see where you've rewarded their faith already. Father, for some of us here who just haven't trusted you yet, would you just help us trust you today? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.